0: Connor O'Neill, the publisher of Devils Illustrated, providing coverage of Duke on the Rivals Network, is our special guest. It's time for a Duke football preview. This is ACC Nation. I'm Jim Quist. That's Will Ogenen. Welcome, Connor, for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. I don't don't know about special, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, Looking forward to diving in.
0: It's always special when you join us, man. Uh, Mike Elko
1: has uh, grabbed
0: his first head coaching position at Duke. Comes from Texas A&M as defensive coordinator. Elko was at Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Richmond, Penn, among others. Uh, Always is a man behind the defense. It's a clean slate for him now. We expect changes. We expect a slow ramp up in recruiting. We should, an emphasis on should, not expect immediate results. So Connor, give us a synopsis of what Elko brings, what changes need to and will occur and tell us if Duke will support a next step progression for their football program.
1: Yeah, I think you've, you've hit a lot of the bases that were important to Duke getting a, a head coach like Mike Elko. Um, in his resume really the only thing that was missing was head coach of a program, right? Like he was a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He worked his way up uh, kind of through the Dave Flosson um, tree, so to speak. He was with Dave for a lot of years at a couple different stops. Um, you know, Duke had to commit to some, re- to some resources that they hadn't committed under David Cutcliffe. Um, one of the, one of the easy examples of this is, uh, The catapult systems that a lot of programs have been using, they measure like top speed when a player is running, heart rate um, throughout the duration of a practice. Like they'll tell you how many miles the player covered. So that'll kind of tell you, like if somebody was overworked, then you can give them a day off. Um, Before this spring, Duke had some of those, but they didn't have enough of them to kind of support the whole football program. Mike Elko came in and and that was one of the first things he did. He told us about that in the spring was, you know, we had to, we had to buy enough catapults to be able to support a, a real football program. We couldn't just, you know, can't just give them to like the defensive backs and measure their heart rates. And then the next practice, you're giving them to the running backs and receivers, that kind of thing. Um, so it's things like that. Um, there's a facilities upgrade, but, but those things come on, on um, those those are down the road. Those are, you know, let's, let's get some seasons under us. Let's see the progression. Um, And that's when the donors start breaking out the money when they can actually see results on the field. Um, You talked about recruiting, taking an uptick. Uh, One of the big factors for, for coach Elko is the NCAA suspended the 25 signing limit uh, for this class and the next class. So you can sign more than 25 players to a class, which is new. Duke already is at 25 commits for the 23 class. Um, they entered June with two commits. They left June with I think 19, and have already had what's the math on there? Six uh, this month, I think is is what it adds up to. Um, you know, they're they're not going out and beating uh, the Clemson's the the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Notre Dames for recruits. But they're holding their weight. Like they've gotten some high three stars from the Tidewater area. The that that's an area that, you know, UNC and Virginia Tech have typically had uh first pick. Uh they just got a running back out of that area that that is really good. Um I'm I'm blanking on the name. They've had so many uh added players here lately. Um It's going to be really important, though, to to bring in a massive crop of talent. Uh, And that means bringing in a signing class of, you know, between 25 and 30 players. I don't I don't think it'll get too crazy and and go beyond 30 uh, because you want some transfer portal leniency in there and and some scholarships to play with uh, as well. You still have the 85 scholarship limit um, on football. But. But, yeah, it's, you know, David Cutcliffe took Duke to some places that you probably never thought Duke would get to based on the mid-2000s, right? Like, he took him to the ACC championship game against that undefeated and eventual national champion Florida State team. Who would have seen that coming when they're going winless in the ACC so many times in the mid-2000s? Um, but I think it's fair to say that that tenure fell off. Like that, the program fell off and dipped, and that's why Mike Elko arrived. Like every, every coach that walks into a new position that you know isn't isn't coming into a position where the previous coach jumped to the NFL or something, they're going to be realistic and tell you like I'm I'm here for a reason, uh, and I'm, and most of the time the reason is going to be because the previous staff was not getting the job done, and so there there needs to be an influx of talent. Um, there are some pieces there, like I think. I don't think you just chalk this up to, you know, go three and nine or four and eight uh, throw out the tape and start building toward next year. I think that an avenue exists to go six and six and make it to a bowl, And I think that would be a, a pretty good first step for, for a first year coach. Uh, but there's also going to be growing pains, you know, as, as a first year head coach, Mike Elko is going to learn some lessons the hard way. That's just the nature of, of the beast and the nature of, of the gig. Um, So we'll, we'll see where it goes.
0: Before Will gets into uh, some of the X's and O's on offense and and defense, let me um, um, sort of parallel you on your comment about Cutcliffe. I always thought that Cutcliffe was a good coach. He did take that team a lot further than one would have imagined, but there also comes a time, I think with a lot of coaching staffs, where you reach a level and we talk we've talked about this relentlessly on this podcast about how you reach a certain level, you build a foundation and then you need to pass it along to someone who's going to actually frame the house for you. And I think that Elko is, is in that in that boat. This is a question that um, I think probably is on the mind of an awful lot of people. I know it's early. He's just started. But is Mike Elko the kind of guy who's going to be around for a while, like Clawson at Wake Forest, or even Cutcliffe, who was, you know, preceding him? Is he the kind of guy that you see as a long-term builder of a Duke football program that is going to be competitive year in, year out?
1: I think that goes to to the resources that you were talking about in the first question. I think if Duke, Commits to, you know, accelerating their commitment to football, uh, raising the bar as Mike Elko raises the bar, or at least if if he's able to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, um, I think Duke can keep him as long as, you know, they're they're meeting each other on the same level of commitment to the program, right? If, if that makes sense, like, sure, you know, with 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 Wake and Dave Clawson. Uh, I'm not sure Dave sticks around if Wake's facilities and commitment to his program doesn't elevate with the way the program elevated. Um, You know, when Dave got to Wake Forest, they didn't have an indoor facility. They didn't have the, um, they've got a new locker room coming. Um, They didn't have the weight training facility that they have now that is state of the art. Um, you know, they, Wake was, Wake was down here, uh, when Dave took that job and Wake had to get to here, um, or, or risk losing him. Uh, and I think, you know, all of this is, is hypothetical on whether Mike Elko actually is a good fit for Duke. If, you know, I, I've talked ad nauseum about how good of a fit Dave Clawson is for Wake Forest as a school I think Mike Elko is a really good fit for Duke as a school, but we'll, we'll see that, uh, you know, he hasn't coached a game yet. Like he, he yeah. coached the spring game. Uh, but, you know, until, until that I think it's a Friday night opener against temple, um, then we'll start to really get a handle on whether he is the right fit. And and we probably won't know a for sure answer until a couple of years from now. But yeah, I, I think that as long as Duke, and Mike Elko see eye to eye on the way on the trajectory of the program. I think he could be there in in the long term and not just there for you know three or four years. Have some success and then jump to you know one of the one of the bigger level schools. Right.
0: Time
2: will tell. Will let's examine it a little closer. Sure. But before we do, I actually want to go back to the recruiting uh, that you mentioned for the class of 23. You'd mentioned that they're already at 25 commits. I believe rivals has them ranked at 21st already uh, so far and we're five months out to signing. It's obviously going to change, but still pretty impressive that they're up there But um, when you, are you getting a sense of what uh, Mike Elko is really selling to all these commits?
1: You know, I, if I had more of a handle on, on the day-to-day recruiting coverage, um, I should, I I just am not at a place with the site, um, that I do. I would have an answer for you there. I think when he, if, if I, if I go off of what he said, it is introductory presser, right. Uh, it's going all the way back to December last year. And a lot of things changed since from, from then to now, uh, a lot of it was, You know, Duke has a national brand in just about every sport they have, other than football. Um, Duke basketball, we know, is a national brand. But even, you know, Duke women's basketball with Carol Lawson at the helm. Duke lacrosse is is a massive um, flagship for for lacrosse programs. Uh, Duke golf uh, punches out pros. Football is really the only one that is lacking, and Mike Elko is selling. what told us at his intro presser that he was going to sell. Duke football could become a national brand as well. Like that's the last piece of the puzzle for the school, and he wants to push that over the top. Um, you're also in recruiting when you're a first-year coach. You can sell to kids these days. Hey, come in and be a don't. Don't go somewhere that. Uh, you know, you're going to walk into a situation that you're going to, you know, sit on the bench for a year or two. You're going into a, a program that kind of expects to win. Come into a program and, and change the culture. Come into a program and, you know, compete for a job right away. We've got available time. Uh, you know, come in and be part of the process to to change things uh, at the school. I, I don't think there are a lot of high school kids that that get sold on that but the ones that legitimately do get sold on that i think those are the ones you want to start your program with in those first couple recruiting classes
2: okay so trigger warning for those of you who are duke football fans this is to to say that uh that elko and defensive coordinator rob smith have some work to do it might be a bit of an understatement from where they were (laughs) the second half of last season so i'm just gonna run it down for you here uh, they were last in yards per game, 123 in yards per play. And those last six games gave up on average of 605 yards per game. So to say, like I said, to say they have some work to do is a bit of an understatement. But do, do you expect Elko to have a uh, be pretty hands-on with the defense as well?
1: Yeah. Um, in the spring, we we were able to go to practices in the spring. I think I went to maybe seven or eight. I had COVID and we were covering uh, Duke basketball to to end the spring or at the start of when spring practices were going for football. But, yeah, it'd be hard to be worse. Um, you don't want to just say, okay, they hired a defensive-minded head coach. They're automatically going to be, like, a top 50 defense. They're automatically going to be better just just by nature of the guy they hired. Uh, you have to have players over there. It's it's an, it's an interesting study. Like, I I don't know how much talent they have on their defensive line I don't so I don't know how much pressure they're going to get, and if you can't get pressure, then you're not going to be a very good college defense. Uh, you can't you can't expect defensive your your good programs with good defensive backs they they can't cover for six or seven seconds every play. So I think that means you might see a lot of blitzing. Um, Duke's strength on defense is in the linebacker core. Dorian Mousy and Shaka Hayward are both. Pretty decent linebackers and they get back Rocky Shelton the second, who was away from the team last year. Uh don't know the entire story. I, I kind of walked into that situation and had to be educated on it. Um, but he's back now. He was back in the spring. Uh he was a a big time contributor in the COVID year in 2020. So getting him back, um if you have three good college linebackers, I think they're going to start two of them. I think they're going to be a four-two-five defense. Uh, you can work with with three good linebackers on a four-two-five. Like you can you can make some things happen. You can make some things work with working one of them as a stand-up rusher on third downs, that kind of thing. Uh, they lost a lot of snaps in the secondary, and I phrase it that way because they had a lot of experienced guys in the secondary, and their secondary was terrible last year like i i just go to to the louisville game on that thursday i think it was a it was a either a thursday or friday night uh i think malik cunningham is still picking up yards in that game i think he was uh in the press box i still remember we were all blown away because they're telling us that malik cunningham is the first uh louisville player with 400 passing yards and 200 rushing yards in the same game and we're all like Lamar Jackson was playing for them eight years ago how did he not have that like how does Lamar Jackson how do how do you do something that Lamar Jackson never did and the fun fact there is like Lamar Jackson had one game with over 400 passing yards and 199 rushing yards
2: which is great <laughs> oh, but man.
1: but still I mean nothing against Malik Cunningham like Malik Cunningham is is in the discussion of you know the throw the, throw the top eight quarterbacks into, into a hat and pick one out. And they're probably the best quarterback in the ACC. Right. 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 But man, he just shredded them and they, they did nothing to even slow him down remotely. So it might be, you know, it, it might be a good thing to kind of press the reset button on the secondary. Um, They've got a lot of sophomores that did not play very many snaps last year that I think they've got to get at least a couple guys to emerge from that group. Um, you know, those are guys like Cameron Bergeron, um, Trent Broadnax, Placide, Jungu, Sungu, um, is, is a good name for you. Yeah, Josh <laughs> is another one. Um, I think, you know, we, we've talked about the recruiting and the gains made, um, they're going to have some talented defensive backs come in in the future and, and they've already got some, uh, almost said signed they've got some committed uh we'll see if they get to the december signing date but they're gonna need some this year to step up and and it's kind of sink or swim time and uh i think they i think they have some pieces like we saw flashes in the spring game or in spring practices also you you kind of hesitate because it's like okay well We have, we have our own questions about how good the receivers are that are in the program. So if the soft, if the defensive backs look really good, is it because they're good or is it because they're not being challenged as much as they would be against, you know, some other ACC receiving crews, but yeah, I mean, to, to bring it all back, like the defense, it's got to get better. It, it, there's not much room for it to get worse.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And, um, but you mentioned you, you do. There are some pieces on that on that uh defense line. You talked about the strength of this team being the linebackers, and I don't think many people knew that Shaka Hayward was second team All ACC last year. Uh, from from seeing him during, what is it about him that makes him so good?
1: He's just rangy. I mean, he he is. I don't know if I would call him a sure tackler. I think that word gets thrown around a little too casually, but i mean look when when your defense is as bad as it was you're gonna need somebody to get the ball down eventually that that was his role uh i think he can be a a key cog in a in a pretty decent defense i'm not saying he's just like a you know he's not like the boston college linebackers that right. would all have 150 tackles but that might be that might not be the right team uh-huh that's okay yeah they had Luke Kuechly he he wasn't yeah, he, was he wasn't running around on four and eight teams that were giving yeah. up uh, giving up 500 yards a game but uh no I, I think Shaka Hayward is rangy I think he's a decent tackler um you know I I think that he he did get overlooked last year because Duke's defense was so bad, and because their their record and their team was so subpar. Um, and that's one of the things you kind of root for. Like you root for a story where a guy he's he's had some individual success, but the team success hasn't been there. Uh, I believe he's a senior, so you kind of you kind of hope that he gets to experience some success and winning in his last two, in his last season.
0: So Connor, um, the key to making a lot of things happen, uh, is the line. So I want to talk just briefly about both the defensive line and the offensive line. Um, what, what, what does Elko have to work with there? What does he, what does he have that's already in house and that's coming in and, um, is is both the defense and offensive lines are they are they improved over last year and uh do they show some promise
1: the best so i've got i've got pro football focus pulled up here the most pressures on the team last year were from dwayne carter who was a defensive tackle um I'm kind of of the mind that unless you have an Aaron Donald, it's not a good thing if the most pressures you have come from the interior because um, the pressure from the interior, if your ends don't have contain a uh, quarter, every quarterback in this league pretty much can escape right or left and burn you with his feet. Um, they have RJ open back. He was a starting defensive end last year. Uh, He had five sacks that led the team. Uh, They lost their other starting end, uh, Ben Fry. And we're going to find out if guys like Michael Reese, uh, Caleb Opon, and Ahmad Craig can step into roles and and take jumps under a new staff. Um, The one incoming player that I am really intrigued by is Vincent Anthony Jr., He's from at Durham High School, uh, I believe it's Durham Jordan. Um, he was a kind of middling three-star for us, and went to the All-American Bowl as one of the lowest-ranked players, and blew up. Like he turned heads. He he was he was turning everybody's head as as an athletic freak. Edge rusher. Uh, I think he is 6'6, 240, 250, that range. Um fresh coming in and playing as a freshman on the defensive line is, is doable uh at places other than Clemson, but it's it's tough. So there's gonna be a learning curve there. But if if there's gonna be a newcomer who makes a really big difference, I think it's him. And uh, I'm really interested to see how he looks in the fall.
0: So, talk to us about that offensive line and whether or not it's going to provide the time necessary for whoever is under center and everybody behind that and out wide. It's going to be enough time for them to put together some plays that will put points on the board.
1: Right, the offensive line might might be the strongest part of this team right now. Uh if you just go down the list of positions, they lose their center Jack Wallabaugh, and he was really good. He might have landed uh some All ACC honors last year, I can't remember. But other than that, they return just about every piece on their offensive line. Uh Jacob Monk is a has, was a pretty decent guard last year. Graham Barton um is entering his third season in the program and is a three-year starter mm-hmm. um he started every game at left tackle last year like that's that's tough to do in the acc uh as a as a second year player but but he did um they've got building blocks on the offensive line maurice mcintyre is back uh it's a you know it it's not like it's going to be an offensive line that ranks top three in the ACC. Uh, I, I think that's fair to say, but I also think that, look, if you're going to have a, an inexperienced starter at quarterback, no matter whether you go with Riley Leonard or Jordan Moore, or, or if it's uh, Henry Boleyn, the fourth, the freshman coming in, uh, you're going to have somebody inexperienced back there. So you're at least giving them a little bit of a head start with a somewhat developed, somewhat uh, gelled and cohesive offensive line that, you know, shouldn't break at the first sign of pressure. And, and that's, I think that's about as good as you can ask for if you're taking over a program that, you know, has won five games in the last two years.
0: Before, um... Will starts putting the pieces of the puzzle together here to see what type of points are going to go up on this board. I've got a quick question for you. We're going to go completely off uh, the, the beaten path here for just a second, as I'm prone to do, as both of you know. Um, General Assembly of North Carolina, it's Will shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's an appropriation of $15 million that allegedly is going toward the ACC to, um, to help keep things in north carolina uh back in the early spring there was talk around april there was talk that uh, the acc headquarters could go to florida or it could go to charlotte and we kind of all knew it was probably going to be charlotte or maybe stay in greensboro which i kind of doubted but um what do you make of uh of this um uh, this money being doled out by the state, uh, and, and is it indeed for the ACC to stay at home, so to speak?
1: Yeah, I got to kick out of the timing of that coming out because if I remember correctly, I think it came out a day or two before the the big news uh, <laughs> the last couple of weeks yeah. and, and what everything is basically revolved around. Uh-huh. So that, that really got shuffled to the back burner other than the, the mentions of, who the hell cares where the ACC office is. Is there even going to be an ACC in, in five years? Um, yeah, I'm not thrilled about if, if I have to pay tax money, I'm not thrilled about (laughs) having to pay for the ACC to go from Greensboro to Charlotte. That's kind of a, a move in symbol only. Like (laughs) I, I get, I get the appeal of Charlotte over Greensboro. Um, I don't know if I could have said that two or three years ago, but I've kind of become numb to this. Like it's kind of felt moving toward moving in this direction for a little while. Um, I, I love flying out of the Greensboro airport. That is probably my favorite airport in the country, but it's also a pain in the ass, uh pain in the butt.
2: <laughs> <That> to, <too.
1: laughs> to have to connect to in Atlanta any or Charlotte, anytime you want to fly anywhere direct, basically. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that That's a hassle. Uh, I'm fine with dealing with the hassle, but I know other people that aren't. So, yeah, it makes sense. Like, I, I get it. Um, Charlotte is where uh, ESPN has studios. Um, ACC Network stuff is run out of Charlotte. Uh, it just, it, it makes so much sense on so many levels to be in Charlotte. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm not sure about why, why the $15 million needs to be spent to keep the ACC in North Carolina. If Charlotte was always the, the goal, um, of the league anyway,
0: interesting, I used to uh, used to do the old Piedmont and Eastern Airlines into Greensboro a lot, out of Roanoke and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I I, I kind of remember those days too. But I'm stuck in Charlotte and Atlanta and everywhere else now. So, well, it's all yours. Take
2: uh, take us uh, down the the path here. Well, you mentioning P- Piedmont Air- Airlines really dates yourself, there, yes, Jim. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Immensely. <laughs> that okay, is so you you briefly mentioned the quarterbacks uh, a little bit ago, and you mentioned Jordan Moore, Riley Leonard, and the freshman you had also had mentioned. Um, so the, obviously, you know, is going to be another another starting quarterback for this program, which has had no no consistently consistency since Daniel Jones left for the NFL. So, do any of them really fit what they run a, one, run on offense better than the others?
1: yeah i I think both of these guys i mean if if one or both of them weren't fits, uh, they would have been more aggressive in pursuing a quarterback in the transfer portal in the spring. Um, I think not going out and getting one of those guys they brought in somebody um, I can't remember I can't remember his name or who it, who it is or where he's from, but uh, it's from a lower level school i believe. Um, maybe somebody from D2 or FCS level uh, to just kind of give them another body to to avoid a situation where you have um, basically two quarterbacks plus a a true freshman who didn't enroll early I always kind of I think Henry Boleyn will have a at least a little bit of a fair shake to earn the starting job in the in fall camp but I always think that quarterbacks that don't come in in January are starting so far behind because they don't have that extra six months of working with receivers, working with running backs and getting the timing of the offense. Um, So, yeah, I I think Riley Leonard and Jordan Moore both fit what Kevin Johns wants to do. Um, Their skill sets are different. Uh, I think you'd be putting blinders on if you said differently. Uh, Riley Leonard has a little bit more of an accurate arm Um, he's a capable runner but Jordan Moore when he breaks the pocket and breaks contain it's like having the ball in the hands of a running back Uh, he is a he is a legit running threat every time he drops back to pass every time they they run an option play Um, he's a fantastic athlete he's he's great in the open field so It'll be a it'll be an interesting juggling act because those are two different styles. They're similar enough to where, you know, that's the old coach's cliche, the old offensive coordinator's cliche of we don't have to change the offense based on what quarterback we have in. Um, I always have my doubts about that, but I think it's kind of true with, with Duke. I don't think that you need to have two different playbooks for for which quarterback you have. Um, it'll just be, you know, what what do you what do you lean heavily toward doing uh, with with opening up the passing or or using Jordan Moore's uh, running ability in the open field? So, I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not saying either one of them should enter the season in the conversation that I mentioned earlier about who the best quarterback in the ACC is. I mean, they're two. You know, whoever Duke starts, Duke is going to be one of the only ACC teams that isn't starting an experienced quarterback but it's not like Duke is going to be so far behind everybody else in the conference when it comes to quarterback talent, like these two, uh, you know, the hope is that competition brings out the best in one of them and one of them rises and that's who starts. And, you know, I, I have a story I'm working on right now that basically says the the ultimate hedge is just to say that both of them are going to play significant snaps this year. And, as as much of a cop-out is as that as that is like i think that's the most likely outcome i think that you're gonna see both of them at at certain points i don't know which one you're gonna see first i don't know which one you're gonna see in in the last game of the year but i think both of them definitely will get their chances to do things uh not just in fall camp but in you know on saturdays in the fall
2: so the t- the toughest uh toughest loss for this team was Mateo Duran who was so good at running back for a few years obviously he's gone now and trying to fill that void is going to be a little tough but I feel it really does feel like this is going to be a, a committee approach you've got Jordan Waters Jack has Jalen Coleman and a freshman Terry Moore who who I've heard has has uh has um could be in the in the in the mix there so do who do you expect to really uh kind of get uh, or the carries early. Is it just really too early to determine that right now?
1: I think, you know, last year's results don't matter as much because it's a new staff and because it's a new system, but I'm inclined to think Jordan waters should have at least a little bit of a leg up because he is the only one of the group that has played significant snaps. Um, you know, every, every, Mateo Durant was a workhorse and you basically had to like carry him off the field to get a sub in. But when he came out last year, it was Jordan waters who got called on and, and he showed some things. Like I, I, I actually, I thought Duke would have benefited from giving Mateo a little more time to rest at times and, and letting Jordan waters handle the bulk of a driver or, or that kind of thing. Um, not to relitigate last season, but yeah, I, I think he's got maybe not the inside track, but at least a little bit of a nose out in front of the rest. Um, I think Travis Bates is one to watch. He's he's the only one of the three freshman running backs who didn't enroll early, but he's the one that the staff went out and signed in the February period. He's one of two guys that they added, uh, two freshmen that they added in February uh, he was a high three star out of Florida. So I think he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um he's got good size coming out of high school. Uh 5'11, 195. Um I liked Eric Weatherly, the other freshman running back. So now we've mentioned all three freshman running backs. I liked Eric Weatherly at times in the spring. Um, him and Terry Moore were both in early. Um that's the that's the side note on the Moors here. We could I'm really hoping for for a situation where we have Jordan Moore a quarterback flanked by running backs Jaquez Moore and Terry Moore so it can just be the Moore backfield. Um
2: <laughs> that uh gif of Kylo Ren going more <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: oh, But uh yeah, I mean it you hit the nail on the head like I actually in, in the in the same story I'm working on, uh I've written in there, you know. Kevin Johns tell, told us in the spring that he does like the idea of having a bell cow. Um, that's something that offenses in today's college football are going away from. And Duke had one last year and and Kevin Johns is on the record with us telling us that he would not shy away from having one, but he also like his, the next sentence out of his mouth was, I don't know if we have that on this year's roster. Like I got, I, I just, he didn't see it then. Um, I don't know that his take would change that much based on fall camp. So I think you'll see no more than like 15 carries uh, in certain games for any running back that, that winds up in a
2: rotation of the top two, three, or four. Okay. So wide receiver, obviously they they've had a tendency in the past to just have one guy really get a lot of the, the catches. That was Jake Bobo last year. He's now gone. Jalen Calhoun's the number the number two. He he has he has far and away more catches than anybody else that's returning, but there's just a lot of inexperience behind him. And I know they moved one of the quarterbacks over to wide receiver as well, Luca Diamant. So it just feels like there's just a outside of, of Calhoun, there's just a lot of question marks at, at the other pass catchers.
1: There really are. And and the spring was a lot about uh let's let's throw deep shots down the sideline and see which receivers can go up and fight for it and win 50, 50 balls. Um, You know, Kevin Johns talked about that position and he talked about having, having receivers to go up and win those battles. It's not always size. It's not always skill. It's sometimes it's just, you've got to want the ball more and you've got to go up and get it. Uh, And to use my experience covering wake, I mean, Look at the receivers that have come through Wake and had dominant seasons with, you know, not just the guys they have now, but with Sage Surratt, with Scotty Washington. Um, Greg Dorch was a was a small guy, but he could go up and get the ball over somebody because he was that athletic and he's that much of a competitor. And that's what Duke was searching for in the spring. And that's what Duke is going to keep searching for. Basically, you know, this season and they're probably going to be searching for it next season, too. Uh, the personnel is going to change. They've got, and they've got like five or six receivers committed in the 23 class. Uh, they're really trying to overhaul that position. Uh, they do have one good one with Jalen Calhoun. I'm interested to see who emerges as their number two. I don't think it's going to be a situation where Jalen Calhoun has, you know, 90 catches this year and the number two receiver has 35 or 40 or whatever the whatever the splits have been i think it'll be a lot more balanced i just i don't know who that number two is going to be it could be you know the two guys that really stood out to me in the spring because of their size were daryl harding jr and malik bowen sims you know they are two guys that haven't really done it uh when the lights are on so you don't you you can you can watch them make a make a nice catch on uh march 29th at 8 30 in the morning on a thursday but are they going to be able to do it on, you know, October 2nd when you're playing an ACC game? Uh, that's something they've got to figure out. And that's where that's where this season will kind of feel like a rebuilding year and, and, a, and a sink or swim year for a lot of the roster to, to see whether they're good enough to stick around and be part of the the curvature of the program or, you know, for lack of a better term, if they need to go elsewhere.
0: Yeah. Well um this is a good a good point to uh, take a quick look at the schedule. Uh good start. Temple Northwestern NC ANT Kansas. But then in October we hit the ACC trail as you were sort of alluding to there. Virginia, Georgia Tech, UNC, Miami, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Pitt and Wake. So a good place to start Maybe not so great of a finish, especially for a first-year coach with a program that really is in the midst of, of just tearing it all down and rebuilding. So tell us your thoughts uh, quickly on this schedule, what you see eventually coming to fruition here.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, football schedules are done so far in advance that you just inherit what you inherit when you're a first-year coach, I'm sure. I'm sure Mike Elko would rather have seven home games and five uh, and five road games. Uh, but, you know, the, the schedule plays out to where this is the year that you've got to go to Kansas and to Northwestern. Um, Northwestern is a solid program. Uh, you know, people might laugh at this, but Kansas last year was not the disaster that I thought they were going to be. Uh, That's, Lance Leopold is, is a second year coach that, you know, knock on wood here. I, I think he knows what he's doing, which is crazy to say about a Kansas football coach, but that, that is a tough game too. Um, I, I don't think that it would be a disaster if Duke is two and two in the non-conference. Um, those are two tough road games. If, if you're drawing it up, you know, I, I, I've become so used to calling the coastal, the JV division of the ACC. And that really hasn't been the case the last couple of years, you know, two years ago, there weren't even any divisions for me to, to make, to make fun of it. Uh, but my wake background and, and seeing Clemson and Louisville and and where even like NC state and BC and and those programs are Syracuse had a 10 win season four years ago. Um you know, the I'm not gonna sit here and say the coastal is an easier division than than the Atlantic. Um I am gonna say I, I think it's is it five first year head coaches in the coastal? Yeah, what is it? Um, Cristobal.
0: If I put my fingers up and start counting that
2: <laughs> Crystal, the two Virginias, Elko, yeah, yep. uh, Elko, um, um Elliot, Pry. And who are we missing?
1: No, it's only four. four. Uh, yeah. Pitt, Georgia Tech, and UNC have the same coach. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. So it is four. Yeah. you go. Still, if you're going to play eight ACC games and four of them are against first year coaches, um, now, not all of those programs are in the same stage of rebuilding. Like, obviously, Miami is a little bit further ahead than. Than the rest of them on there. Um, Tony Elliott didn't inherit a disaster at Virginia, but it's not like it's. It's also not like you're walking into a situation where you've got uh, Clemson, NC State, and Wake on your schedule. Uh, right. Those and and those look like they are at least three of the five best teams in the ACC. I, I think you could argue the the top three or three of the top four in the ACC at least going into the season. So. That's kind of a bullet dodged, I think, in, in terms of looking at the ACC schedule.
0: You can take ACC Nation with you by subscribing to our podcast. Worldwide listeners can listen to ACC Nation radio streaming 24-7, and you can watch the program on YouTube. Pick one or more of your favorite options and subscribe to ACC Nation. We want to thank so much our special guest, Connor O'Neill, the publisher of of Devils Illustrated. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and subscribe to duke.rivals.com for the best coverage of the Duke Blue Devils. Thank you, Connor, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Connor.
1: See, now I really do feel special. because It kind of sunk in that time.
0: Glad to have you here as always.
1: Thanks for having me, guys.